Hello and welcome to the Reading Zone podcast. This is Caroline Horn, and today I'm delighted to welcome our guest, author Holly Webb. Now, Holly is a much-loved writer who has encouraged thousands of children into reading, especially through her Animal Stories series published by Little Tiger. The 50th book in the series, A Puppy's First Christmas, has been published, but she also writes magical adventures and time-slip novels. Indeed, she's written more than 130 books to date, many involving animals and aimed at younger children. But how did she get started and what keeps her writing? Well, let's find out from Holly. Holly, welcome to the Reading Zone podcast. Thank you so much for having me. It's lovely to be here. Well, it's lovely to have you here today. And I'm very much looking forward to finding out more about you as a writer. Um, now, I was just saying your new book, A Puppy's First Christmas, is the 50th Animal Stories book you've written. Did you ever guess you would get to 50 books? No, not at all. When when I wrote the first book in this series, Lost in the Snow, it absolutely wasn't going to be a series. In fact, if it was going to be a series, we'd have thought of a, a really lovely, clever series title that was slightly more exciting than animal stories, I think. Um, but it that wasn't the plan at all. Um, I had a, a really lovely discussion with um, Jane Harris, who was the editor working on the books at the time, and she asked me if I would write a, a Christmassy, wintry, snowy story about a kitten. And I was I was so excited to write it. And there was maybe a hope that there would be a sequel, which 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 there was, obviously, um, that would be about a puppy. And then possibly there might be a um, a book about a rabbit. And then we, we were really trying very hard to think of a fourth animal because four seemed like a good number. And uh, for a while we talked about maybe a book about a duck. Um, but actually, it, we've we've stuck with with puppies and kittens, and it I've I've just loved all of them. It's been it's been such an amazing. Uh, I'm trying to think, fifteen years, sixteen years, I can't count, but a long time. Gosh, yes. Um, and and how did you start with the animals? I mean, did you grow up surrounded by pets and an animal loving family? Yes, I mean. We had um, cats, dogs, and various other animals. I mean, I actually, my own animals, my very first pet was a mouse, um, a, a little chocolate brown mouse who was called Truffle, because when he curled up, he looked like a chocolate truffle. And then I went on to gerbils, and I had gerbils for years and years and years, and my, they were constantly escaping, and they chewed holes in the bedroom curtains. And, yeah, the, it was an accident-prone fairly animal-filled childhood. And I, I do really love living with animals. I have three cats at the moment and I can't imagine not, not having animals. My children, I would love a dog as well, but I just, we just, in terms of family dynamics, it just wouldn't work to have one at the moment, which, which does make me sad, but I get to admire lots of friends' dogs. <laughs> yes, maybe your cats would be happier in a dog. The cats would be absolutely furious if I, if I brought a dog into the mix, although they'd probably just absolutely uh, boss the dog around mercilessly. <laughs> did, did, was, was there one pet that really stood out for you, either perhaps being the loveliest or the naughtiest or, or the most hopeless? What? I had a really, um, looking back on it, really lovely relationship with one of our dogs uh, who was called Alice. She was an English Bull Terrier. Um, she, we got her when I was about seven um, and when I was a grumpy, sulky teenager, she was a grumpy, sulky dog. And 
I absolutely loved her. Um, she she was very characterful. We we used to go to the beach quite often at weekends, and she hated sand. So whenever we took her on a walk on the beach, we had to carry her. And this is an English bull terrier; they are big. Um, she was quite a small English bull terrier comparatively, but you you had to carry her over any patches of sand. She was a real city dog. She liked pavements, and she was really badly behaved. Looking back on it, we were such bad animal trainers as a family. I think we just were far too indulgent probably and she used to steal food from the table constantly um oh, and we yes my my dad at one point tried to train her using a um an, a dog training book which suggested making the food that she stole from the table taste so horrible that she would give up on the idea and he made her a, a chili sandwich which she thought was great she thought it was the best thing she'd ever had um <laughs> ate the whole thing and then jumped up again to see if there was any more and at that point, I think we, we slightly gave up on it. Um, we also had a dachshund, a wire-haired dachshund, who was, uh, who, it was my job to take to dog training classes aged about 11 or 12. And that was one of the most embarrassing experiences of my life because dachshunds are not easily trainable. And he never, ever did what he was told, ever. I think he had participation rosettes from the dog training <laughs> classes, but, you know. He, Consolation prize. Yeah, exactly, exactly. And he... Um, both those dogs have, have contributed so many naughty dog stories to my writing. Oh, lovely. Um, I, was, I was going to ask you, are you constantly drawing on these memories for yourself? Yes, yes. All three of my current cats have, have given me at least one book plot. Excellent. Yes, they're worth having. Um, so perhaps when you start running out of plots, you just need to get some more cats in. Or yeah, well, that, 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 that seems like a great solution to me. The rest of my family thinks three cats is enough. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, now, you, you do also manage in your stories to really get inside the pets' heads too. And, and do you feel it's important that children also see things from uh, the animal's perspective as, as well as the children in, in the stories? Yes, definitely, because I I really think that you, you shouldn't be owning pets unless you can be thinking about their well-being very, very carefully before you take them on. Um, it's one of the really worrying things about um, the COVID situation over the last year and a half. It's, it was wonderful that so many people were able to adopt pets and bring them into their families um, during lockdown, but... Um, the RSPCA and other, other animal charities have reported there's a, now a lot of animals being returned, which is just incredibly sad. And I, I can completely see how, how it's happened, but it's it's an example of people just not thinking about the animal's welfare and before they actually decide to adopt an animal. And I, 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 that's one of the parts of the animal story writing process that I absolutely love, trying to think how animals would would respond to the same situation that a child is undergoing and and how their their feelings about the same uh happenings would be would be would it would be obvious to the reader that the same thing was happening but how differently the the animal and the child would react to it um and obviously i'm i'm extrapolating and anthropomorphizing to a certain extent but um i really love trying to imagine how actually the animals um, the dogs and the cats would would respond to those situations and I think it's it's really important that that children develop their empathy not just for other people but for um everyone for for animals sharing the world with us as well 
Okay. And um, I also wondered if in your stories you you give training tips and that what you were just saying there about COVID, you know, the, the sense that we have a, a responsibility when we take on a pet. And is, is that something you um, draw through into your stories? Yes. I mean, having just admitted that our, our dogs, when I was growing up, were absolutely terribly trained. Um, I, I do think it's really important to to find out about how to look after your your animals, um, particularly if you're going to if you're going to adopt a, a particular breed. And I've written books about how difficult it is to adopt a very large dog because people just don't realise how much space they're going to take up, how um, they can almost come across as being aggressive when they're not just because they are so big. And people, especially when they adopt a puppy, just often don't have an understanding of, of how big and how much time that that very cute fluffy puppy is actually going to end up taking and I think it's it's I'm quite often get slightly wry comments from parents in bookshops at events um you know we had to get a dog because of you or you know she's desperate to have a cat because you know because she keeps reading your books and I sort of laugh it off but I I think it's really important that the the realities of having a pet are represented in the books as much as the the incredible bond that animals and children can have together. I, I it would be, I think, um, irresponsible to to make out that it's that it's all easy. Mm, absolutely. Now you you also um, cover themes about families um, in your stories, and um, I wondered if you could just talk about how the themes of the books have changed because we have a much broader perspective now don't we on family life and the sort of situations that children might find themselves in do, do you feel that that has changed over the 50 books you've written as well yeah I, I think mostly because I've become aware that I am an incredibly privileged um white straight woman um and that I'm I should be writing books that make everyone feel as though they have a, a place within the world of that series. It's a very established series and I would I would not want any child um, to feel that they weren't represented within it. Um, so as much as I totally support the own voices uh, movement within children's publishing, I do think it's important that this series reflects children from all backgrounds, neurodiverse children, children with disabilities. Um, I think it's it's I've really loved over the last few years starting to to broaden the background and the the different um, bringing different themes into the books and and making it clear that animals and children have a really strong relationship, um, whatever the background of, of the child in the book is. Okay. Um, and given that you've written 50 of these stories now, how, how do you keep finding new ideas? How do you make them exciting and fresh? I, I haven't found it difficult to find new ideas, although looking back on it, 50 separate plots, all involving puppies or kittens, does seem quite, quite a lot. But um, lots of friends with animals, um, new stories. The internet has been fabulous for finding great adventures um with animals it, it seems it seems to be fingers crossed seem to still be finding 
finding the options. Do, do your readers ever give you ideas for new books? Yes, absolutely. So um, one of my books, um, The Rescued Kitten, came directly from an email that a girl named Edie sent me about her kitten who was named Barbie because they'd rescued her from being caught on a barbed wire fence. Um, and her mum was a vet, so they took the kitten home and and looked after it. And this is just one email with basically the entire plot of the book. <laughs> and it's all true and it's wonderful and then I met her which is even better not not Barbie unfortunately I did meet Edie at I think the Cheltenham Literary Festival she came to one of the events we arranged that she could come and it was wonderful to to meet her um, but yes lots of times and um, the forgotten puppy as well was based on a story from a um, a book event at Waterstones where a girl was telling me about her her father who worked for um, Great Western Railways on platforms and and had seen a, a dog that had um, climbed onto a train and gone off on a journey on its own oh and God. and so that that started an, another a book plot yeah lot in fact there's a, there's a couple more as well so yes lots of the time and that's absolutely wonderful Oh, excellent. Um, do you want to tell us a little bit about your new book, A Puppy's First Christmas, as this is the 50th book in the Animal Stories series? So, yes, this book is, um, I, I still can't believe it's the 50th one. It's really, really exciting. Um, it's about the stress of Christmas in a way that Christmas is a wonderful time. And I know that I am terribly guilty of, um, I think, particularly at the moment when things are, are quite stressful generally, um, of turning Christmas into something that has to be perfect. Um, and people put enormous amount of emotional store by that one day or perhaps that, that holiday period. And then there can be a come down afterwards, I think often and people feel that it wasn't as it should have been or the right people weren't there or things just weren't perfect. Um, and that's, that's the sort of theme behind the book that, um, there's this perfect family Christmas with lots of relatives being organised, but there's there's also um, trying to make sure that a new puppy is properly looked after when a whole load of new, extra, different people, other young children who aren't necessarily used to looking after a dog, um, strange things like Christmas trees and presents and grand's best new boots that get chewed up because they've been left in the wrong place. Um, and a child who's very, very determined that her puppy should be properly looked after and can't necessarily understand that there are other, um, that there are family needs as well. So it's, it's all about balance. And I, I actually felt, um, I really felt like I was writing about, about my feelings about Christmas in some ways as well, that I, I, I know that I'm uh, far too prone to turning it into this magical time that actually, um, makes everything more stressful for everybody else <laughs> <laughs> oh yes indeed um well we're all looking forward to christmas so um ho hopefully it will just be magical for all of us um now you also write other kinds of stories like museum kittens and your winter animal stories and these often have a time slip element um, can you tell us a little bit about how each of these series began so museum kittens actually was Another um, fabulous gift from a reader, it was actually from a, a child in St. Petersburg. Um, all of my little tiger books are published in Russia, um, which is wonderful. And um, I find it in a way quite surprising, but the, the most popular series in Russia, strange enough, is a, is a series I wrote a little while ago called Maisie Hitchens, which is about a girl 
um, detective in sort of Edwardian London. Um, and they seem to me to be incredibly British. Um, but actually, Russian children think they're amazing. <laughs> and I find, I find that lovely, but, but also quite strange. But, but it means that I have, I have been um, able to go and visit Russian readers a few times, which has been wonderful. And I went to St. Petersburg about three years ago. Um, and I was talking to the um, lady from the Russian publishers who was showing me around. And she told me about the cats who live in the Hermitage Museum, which is this absolutely huge uh, palace complex that was turned into a museum in St. Petersburg. And in the cellars under the museum, there are about 50 cats who are effectively employed by the museum. They have a, a caretaker who's um, dedicated just to them. And it's they are um, there to keep the rats and mice away. But I, they've also become a tourist attraction and there are the museums publish books about them and um, reflecting the the cats, but also the the wonderful kind of cat exhibits they have within the museum collection as well, which is really lovely. And a child at one of the events in St. Petersburg said, have you have you seen the cats at the Hermitage and, and why don't you write a book about them? And I'd, I'd been thinking about it anyway, just what a wonderful idea it was. Um, and then, yeah, it that sort of crystallised it for me. And my Russian publishers gave me a, one of the books that the museum had produced as a present um, when I went, when I left. And basically on, on, the, on the plane home, I started thinking about, about what the series could be. And then I discovered that the British Museum in London um, also used to have cats to do exactly the same thing. And one of the cats, the most famous one, who was called Mike, um, turned up, carried in the mouth of his predecessor, who dropped him as a kitten at the feet of the keeper of Egyptian antiquities and walked away. <laughs> And it was just—it was—it was just such a perfect book plot. So, so that's how that happened. And um, the the winter stories, I've loved time slip books for for such a long time. One of my absolute favourite books growing up was *A Traveller in Time* by Alison Utley, uh, which is about a girl uh, becoming involved in the plot to rescue Mary Queen of Scots. And I think it was probably the first historical novel that I'd read, aged about ten. Uh, I thought it was amazing. I, I just really loved it. And I was completely, it's it's a wonderful book because the, the main character sort of slips backwards and forwards in time between her own um, wonderful holiday in this wonderful old house and then the, the 1600, uh, 1500s. My history is now letting me down completely. 1500s, I think. Um, and the atmosphere is just absolutely amazing and and what I wanted to do writing my own winter books was was to capture some of that slightly magical atmosphere of not really understanding where you are but being desperate to find out what's going on and feeling that it's somehow very important that you that that you are where you are at that precise moment and and finding out about um a time period that you don't necessarily know. And I, I absolutely love doing the research for those books because I'm not only researching the animal, I'm researching the time period or the place where the, the main character has gone. And it's it's fascinating. In fact, the problem is, is usually that I've got too much research that I want to try and shoehorn into the book somehow. And it's it's not actually that interesting. But it's interesting, but it doesn't really fit, fit the story. So it's yeah, just kind of cherry picking the bits that actually fit into the plot. Oh, excellent. Okay. Um, now, 
that made me think um, with all the research you need to do for those books and with the number of books you've written, are you writing several books a year? And if you are, how do you plan your writing? Do you write one more at a time or are you very focused on each book? How, how does it work? I am usually only writing one first draft at a time, but I would quite often be um, writing, um, editing other books at the same time as writing a new book. And I actually find that really helpful. Um, I surprisingly love the editing process, possibly because I used to work as an editor, um, despite the fact that you know I get editorial letters um, and spend a day cursing about how utterly stupid all those comments are and how obviously everything was perfect and really how could they suggest that? And then by about a day later, I'm going, yes, of course, obviously they're completely right. <laughs> Um, but I find it a really creative process. I, I don't, I don't find it, um, frustrating often, usually. Um, so I, it's quite nice in a way to, to balance the, the writing of a first draft, which I love as well, but does seem harder in a, a really exciting way, particularly when the, the book is, you know, taking off by itself and you don't really know exactly. I love it when a book starts to go off plan and it the, that's when it's really working, when I don't know exactly what's going to happen because it's just, the characters are just making it work themselves and, and that's what I'm aiming for all the time. Um, but it is exhausting, whereas if I can then have a break for a day or two editing something else, um, that is... A really good balance I think and I, I find it, it works quite well to work like that. Yeah can you tell us a little bit about how you plan and then edit your books? So I actually plan my books out really really carefully. When I um, worked as an editor I had this great um, working relationship with a um, an author in America who was writing um, YA horror novels and she never knew what was going to happen. She didn't plan. She, she didn't know. She wrote a trilogy and I while I was working on her books and she didn't know who the uh, protagonist, not protagonist, who, who the baddie effectively was going to end up being in the last book. And I could, I just could not work out how she was doing it. I, I couldn't get my head around how she was keeping it all straight in her head. I, I'm quite forgetful. So I have to plan things out quite carefully. But having said that, even though I have a chapter breakdown where I think I know what is going to happen in each chapter. By the time I've got to chapter three, it's usually completely wrong, but I then update it um, and change the chapter breakdown so it reflects what's actually happening and, and add in the different plot points that are going to change, uh, that have changed because of what I've changed earlier on in the book. And I find that really useful. It's almost like a map, so that I'm, I'm following a map through the story, um, a map that can absolutely be completely torn up and thrown out of the window, but... Um, I, I think I would find it very, very difficult to sit down in front of my computer in the morning and just have absolutely no idea where I was meant to go next. So I, I find it really useful to do that. Um, and I'm lucky that I've had really, really helpful relationships with incredibly um, good editors who've just really seemed to, particularly for animal stories, have just kind of understood the series and and seemed to enjoy working on it too so that it feels like it's been a really productive working relationship 
Um, so yes, I might obviously uh, feel utterly affronted by editorial letters for a day, but uh, um, then I find it quite very helpful to have to have editorial input to to um, work on them. And it's you know not usually to, to the extent of you need to completely rewrite this book. It's it's um, helpful comments about bringing out characters and um, pointing up you know emotional moments in stories that kind of thing which which I find really really useful it's it's just so helpful to have somebody else's viewpoint on a book okay thank you um now you still didn't answer part of that question which is oh, how sorry. many books you actually write each year oh lot, isn't there? it is a lot I would say it's probably um about eight gosh um which does sound a lot but I write full time and I'm lucky enough to be able to write relatively quickly. Mm. And I love doing it. Um, Where do you like to write? Oh, um, I actually write in the converted back half of our garage. Um, a few years ago, particularly it, as my, my, so my children are, I have twins who are 16 and my daughter is about to be 18 next month. Um, so I started writing when Ash, my daughter, uh, well, when I was pregnant, actually. Um, so they've kind of grown up with me as a writer, effectively. But it does mean that over the years, I've realised that I need a, a space. Um, for a long time, I wrote on the sofa. And that just wasn't really working anymore as children got bigger and needed more space. And they'd say, yeah, the back half of the garage. Um which is a, just a, a, a tiny little room surrounded by, you know, full of bookshelves. And I have an armchair, um, which is very comfortable. As a, a child, I used to get into trouble at school because I didn't like sitting with my feet on the floor. Um, teachers used to tell me to stop kneeling on chairs. And I, I don't sit at a table and type. I sit curled up in a chair with a laptop or a notebook. Um, and I've, I find it quite difficult to write sitting at a table, actually. Um, just from habit, yeah. uh, I much prefer feeling sort of um, cocooned into a into a chair and um, being comfortable. So, if you could have your dream writer's shed, what would it look like? Um, I think it would be pretty similar to what I have now, only with more bookshelves because I'm running out of space, and there are there isn't any more wall space to add any more bookshelves, and possibly just very slightly more room. Um, to fit more cats in perhaps <laughs> yes yeah. maybe have a little cattery around the yeah yeah, yeah. get some ideas from cats <laughs> <laughs> and what do you like doing when you're not at your desk what are your favorite escapes I love cooking um, and I'm quite good at making random things so, so when I was at university I used to do a lot of um, prop making for um, drama productions um, I run a brownie unit and a guide unit. We do a lot of craft things um, with that, which is a great um, kind of source of, the girls are a really uh, good source of inspiration for books actually, as well as my own children and my pets. I often borrow um, arguments or conversations, I suppose. Uh, and it, that's just really fun. So yeah, I spend quite a lot of time um, running brownies and guides, but also cooking, drawing, making things, crafty things. I taught myself to crochet during lockdown, which actually has been wonderful. 
And I felt a huge sense of achievement because I tried to learn about three times before and never managed to get it. So um, I felt very, very happy that I'd somehow managed to finally crack crochet during lockdown. Oh, well done. Speaking as someone who's never managed to crack crocheting. I'm very it, it, it's, it's a kind of mystifying art. And then so suddenly it clicked. In fact, I had a, I, I learned from a book that said you will be able to crochet by the end of this book. And it worked. Oh, excellent. I might have to borrow that, Holly. Mm. <laughs> well, thank you so much for giving us that insight into your writing and your books over the last few years. It's It's been brilliant listening to you. Thank you. I hope our readers or our listeners, should I say, will go and find A Puppy's First Christmas and also your new books, Star and Sky, which are published by Little Tiger Press. So thank you for joining us today, Holly. It's been lovely hearing from you. It's been so nice to talk to you. Thank you.